Good evening, everyone. Come on in, be seated, and we'll get started. At 7.02, this is 7.03, and I've got seven. So we're in the ballpark. Might as well go ahead and begin. Be turning in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. And uh, we're going to spend some time in this chapter this evening. I want us to be considering man's sin and God's response. And it's from Genesis 3, and in a moment we'll read the entire chapter and then uh, delve into it. But before we do, let's uh, begin our class with prayer. If you'll pray with me. Dear God, our Father in heaven, we praise your high and holy name this evening as we have assembled together in this place. We lift you high and glorified and recognize you as our creator. And we thank you, Father, for being our Father. We thank you for Jesus Christ, your Son. We're thankful, Father, that through his life he showed us who you are and what you are like. We're thankful that he went to the cross and that he died there and shed his blood for us so that our sins can be forgiven and we can be with you in eternity. We're thankful for the glorious resurrection, which means that we too will be resurrected one day. Father, we do look forward to that time. We do look forward to heaven. And in so many ways, it seems like we wish that we could go right now the way the world is, the way our country is. So many things, Father, that are totally against your ways, your principle, and your word. Our Father, please be with our leaders. Help them, Father, to have a sense of the principles within your word and so govern as to honor those. We thank you, Father, for your holy word, our guide. We're thankful, Father, for your church. We're thankful, Father, for your Holy Spirit. We're thankful, Father, for your church. And we're thankful that tonight we can assemble in peace and without molestation for the purpose of worship and studying your word. We pray, Father, that you would bless us in this study. We do ask, Father, a special prayer for those afflicted in the tornado's path recently. And ask that your healing hand will be with them all. Father, as we enter into this study of your word, give us clarity of thought and give us wisdom, give us understanding and help us, Father, in our application always. Please forgive us of our sins. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Genesis chapter 3 records man's first sin. And uh, my sister used to have a saying when I would be preaching she would say what are you going to preach on 
And uh, I'd say, I'm preach on sin. She'd say, what are you going to say about it? I'm say, I'm against it. I'm against it. <laughs> well, you can go everywhere with the subject of sin. So many ways to, to address it from God's word and applications and everything. But I suppose the best place to begin such a study would be Genesis chapter 3, the very beginning of sin entering into the world. And in chapter 3 of uh, Genesis, it records man's first sin. It also records God's punishment of that sin. And it also records a promise of redemption from that sin. And there are other accounts uh, in the Old Testament that has the same uh, material basically concerning sin and punishment and redemption. Uh, there's Cain and Abel in chapter 4. There's Noah and the flood in uh, chapter 6 through 9. There's the Tower of Babel in uh, chapters 11 and 12. And adding Genesis 3 to that, these four accounts uh, span vast amounts of time, periods of time, and each teach basically the same truth about the essence of sin and about the way God deals with the sinner. And so at this time, uh, if you want to read along with me, I'm reading from the New King James translation, chapter 3 of Genesis. We'll just read the whole thing and then we'll begin our study. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of uh, every tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the tree of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, as it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, The woman whom you gave to me, with me, to be with me, she gave me of the 
tree, um, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your brow you shall eat bread till you return to the ground For out of it you are taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. The beginning of sin in our world. I want us to look at uh, from this chapter uh, three aspects concerning uh, this first sin. I want us to look first of all at what the chapter says about the essence of sin. The essence of sin. And in the second place we will be looking at what the chapter says about God's severe way with the sinner. God's severe way with the sinner. And then thirdly, God's merciful way with the sinner. And so we'll be looking at these three aspects uh, for the remainder of our time tonight. These accounts uh, emphasize um, three fundamental facts about sin. And uh, we're going to look at that uh, in this first part of our lesson tonight. The facts of uh, sin. First of all, the first fact. Sin is not a single act. Sin is not a single act. Sin is slow. Its calculated progressive process entangles man more deeply within itself. Thus consider Eve in the scripture that we just read. 
Uh, Eve listened to the reasons of the serpent rather than the command of God in verses 1 through 5. Eve sees temporary benefits of the forbidden fruit, good for food and delightful to the eyes and desire to make one wise in verse 6. Eve takes the fruit and no apparent harm results. Eve eats the fruit. Eve gives some of the fruit to the man. The man eats of it, all in verse 6. These are just a a few words that give uh, an idea or an impression that perhaps sin is slow. And it's not just one single act. Uh, In reality, uh, some have... uh, concluded from these scriptures and the Bible as a whole, that probably these events occurred over perhaps a rather long period of time. And each step in process naturally grows out of the former. And you see that. She listens. She sees. She takes. She eats. She gives some to the man. The man eats. And it may be that this all didn't appear just at that moment that uh, Satan tempted her, but Perhaps as uh, they left that situation, uh, and then a little bit later on, she molds it over and she decides that, well, uh, let, let's do it. Let, let's just see, and so on. So several days or weeks may have elapsed between the serpent speaking and the time that she realized uh, the tree served to offer positive benefits, at least in her perception. And many scriptures emphasize the fact that sin begins small and subtly with influential temptation. And then it grows almost undetected until it erupts in terrible and destructive acts. If you go to James, if uh, somebody would please look to James chapter 1. Verses 14 through 15, and read that please. James 1, 14 and 15. What does James say about sin and its progression, how it begins? Whoever has it, please read. Okay, so here James compares sin with the whole concept or the whole scope of human life from conception to death. So the first fact of uh, the essence of sin is that uh, it's not a single act, but it's just a multitude of small step-by-step acts, incidences, uh, activity, words, whatever until it just snowballs and it becomes a full-grown sin and if not repented of, will produce spiritual death. So the first fact is that sin is not a single act. Uh, The second fact is that sin is basically a personal inward heart problem. 
Sin is basically a personal inward heart problem. Beyond the external act of eating the fruit was notice it. Number one, an inner willingness to listen to the devil. To listen to him. Second, there was an inward desire to get what they wanted. They wanted that. There was an inward drive to become like God in ways previously denied them. They had it all already. They wanted more, just like the devil said. So an inner willingness, a desire, a drive, all of this uh, amounted to the sin that they were committing. Over in the New Testament, Jesus also uh, recognized this principle about sin. In Matthew chapter 7, in verse 17, uh, Jesus said, Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. And then again in Luke chapter 6, in verse 45, Jesus said, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So this second fact is that sin is basically a personal inward heart problem. And then the third fact from our text that we read about sin is that sin has the power to make a coward out of the sinner. To make a coward out of the sinner. Again, looking at the text in verse 7 and 8, they were embarrassed. <coughs> they were embarrassed uh, and once they were embarrassed for committing the sin, uh, they stopped at no end to cover it. So in verse 7, they tried sowing fig leaves. How do you sow leaves? I don't know. But the point is, they suddenly realized that they needed to be covered and so this is what they tried to do. And then in verse 8, they hid. They did this because all of a sudden they, they knew that they should be covered uh, and not just naked. And so they hid. Cowardly response. They had been accustomed to walking with God in the cool of the day in the garden. And now all of a sudden they didn't want to do that. And when they heard God in the garden, they didn't want to be with him. They hid. And then in verses 12 and 13, again showing that sin has the power to make a coward out of the sinner, we see that uh, man who sins refuses 
to accept responsibility for disobedience, refuses to accept responsibility. And we've noticed this many times before in verses 12 and 13, the blame game, the finger-pointing game. Well, Adam blamed Eve and God. The woman that you gave me, God, did this thing to me. Adam blamed Eve and God. Eve blamed the serpent in verse 13. And that's the way it is with sin. It refuses to accept responsibility for disobedience. And so the essence of sin, uh, first of all, in Genesis chapter 3, yields three facts concerning sin. The first sin, or the first fact rather, is that sin is not a single act. The second fact is that sin is basically a personal inward heart problem. And then the third fact is that sin has the power to make a coward out of the sinner. Uh, the essence of sin, every sin has these elements in it. All sin is the same. There are different kinds of sin, but sin is sin in God's sight. So it's happened. Freedom of choice, that's the way God created man, created all of creation, created man, set him in the midst of the garden, gave him woman to be a helpmate to him as his wife. What more could you ask for? Well, what about that tree in, in the middle that God told us that we can't eat? Um, Adam, what do you think? Think we ought to? Um, the serpent said that um, God didn't really mean what he said. Uh, if God said that uh, you will surely die, uh, he said you won't. Uh, let's do it. Let's try it. And so it happened as we've looked at it in these first verses of chapter 3, mankind sinned. And as a result of that, uh, it's been with us ever since until the day that Christ returns and puts it under his feet once and for all. So secondly, uh, the, as the second aspect about sin in Genesis 3 that we want to look at is God's severe way with the sinner. All right. God has created man with the freedom of choice. He chose to disobey. He chose to partake of the forbidden food, uh, fruit. So what am I going to do? He can't just let it go. So once clearly understood that God is not concerned to overpower or annihilate sinners, but to save them, the way in which he deals with them becomes pretty logical. 
God is a severe God. He is a just God. There is the severity of God that the scriptures talks about uh, in various places, as well as the goodness and the mercy of God and the grace of God. So first of all, in chapter 3, after the sin has been committed, let's see how God deals severely, how he punishes Well, first of all, instead of putting Adam and Eve to death immediately as he originally announced back over in chapter 2 and verse 17, if you'll just look across the page, there in verse 17 of chapter 2, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day, or in the day, that you eat of it, you will surely die. Now whether he means their day as in any point in time or, or period or that very moment, that very day that it happened, be that as it may, at least we know that God did not uh, put them to death. They did not die uh, immediately. Uh, God had compassion on them and allowed them to live for many years. So first, God forces a sinner to see himself as he really is. Uh, If you look in verse 9, notice how God addresses them individually to both. God asks, where are you? And to Eve, what is this that you have done in verse 13? Well, he asked, of course, he knows what has happened, but he asked in order to help the guilty realize within himself the seriousness of his sin. So first, God forces the sinner to see himself as he really is. Uh, Would somebody look up James chapter 1? And read verses 23 through 25, please. James 1, 23 through 25. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding a natural face in a glass, for he beholdeth himself and goes his way and straightway forgets. Okay, so God's word, the perfect law of liberty, is intended to be a mirror that we can look into and see ourselves sin and all imperfections and all as we really are. So God in his word forces man uh, to see himself as he really is. And then secondly, God punishes the sinner severely to help him understand the seriousness of the crime and impose upon him the advantages of accepting God's way So there is punishment. Uh, Not only does he force the sinner to see himself as he really is, but he brings about actual punishment. There is teeth. Uh, 
in it. Something that so many of our laws today are lacking, uh, the teeth of enforcement. But God punishes when he is disobeyed and when there is no repentance. Uh, so look at it again. In verse 16, the woman is made to have pain in childbirth. We might not understand all of the whys and wherefores of, of this, but we do see that this is a reality. Uh, I know when our two children were born, it, it hurt me tremendously. No, it, I did suffer. <laughs> but who can really understand that? Why? Such a beautiful thing as bringing a, a child into the world, but yet the process to do so involves pain. Well, this is directly a result of Eve's sin, Adam's sin. Woman has pain in childbirth, and as a result, the husband's decisions will prevail. He will rule over her. But then for the man, verses 17 through 19 of chapter 3, man shall have to work hard. Uh, man had a work to do. He was to keep and dress the, the garden, as we read in, in uh, Genesis. But evidently, it wasn't just a, a, a fatiguing type of work. It was an enjoyable type of work. But now the idea is that you're really going to have to put your nose to the grindstone to get anything, to sustain life. You're going to have to work hard in verses 17 and 19. Also in verse 19, man's lifespan will be terminated by death uh, because of sin. It brought about spiritual death and also physical death. This principle is also seen and proven to be true over in the New Testament in Galatians 6 and verse 7. Galatians 6 verse 7, there the Apostle Paul said, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. Adam and Eve sowed in disobedience, and now they're reaping a punishment, not only on them, but for all of mankind, as sin is now a part of existence in this world. So this is God's severe way with the sinner. He has to punish him. He has to be punished for his act of, or acts of disobedience, of going against God's will and God's command. Larry, this is just like children. As we raise our children, we have to discipline them. Adam and Eve were like children in the garden. Right. And they had to be punished. Absolutely. So we have uh, seen then the essence of sin. We have seen now God's severe way with the sinner, but the story doesn't stop there. We're looking thirdly at God's merciful way with the sinner from Genesis 3. 
God's severity is manifestation uh, is a manifestation of his love. Over in Proverbs 3, verse 12, uh, similar to what Mike has just shared with us, Proverbs 3, 12, the Bible says, For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. And so that's the principle, God's severity. Uh, but it has a purpose behind it. Man was driven from the garden to keep them from eating the forbidden tree, or others eating the forbidden tree. But this was actually an act of mercy, verses 22 through 24. So even in God's punishment, it was meant to lead one uh, to salvation. Uh, mercy is coming if one will return and repent. So given a child that the human race might continue. And we see this in the first verse of chapter 4, that uh, as a result, and all of this, of course, was after the sin, after being driven from the garden, uh, God allows them to perpetuate Mankind. And so it begins. Mankind begins. Then also in chapter 3 of Genesis, as we look at God's merciful way with the sinner, he promises a ray to return to God in verses 14 and 15. And perhaps these are some of the most familiar verses uh, from Genesis 3 that we remember. It is a promise of a deliverer. Promise of a Savior, a Redeemer. So the Messiah, this is really the first of the Messianic passages and prophecies of the Old Testament. A Redeemer or a Messiah is promised. And isn't it uh, interesting, just as a side note, that this first prophecy of the coming of the Messiah was to the serpent. God is talking to the serpent here. And he is making the promise that uh, one is coming that's going to bruise your head. You might bruise my heel, but he will bruise your head. So Christ's suffering and final triumph is prophesied. The Redeemer will come. He will triumph over sin. And during the process, hostility will exist between the seed of Satan and the seed of woman. All during this time, and that's, that's what life has been since creation, right? There has been this struggle between good and evil. So this was continued by their descendants on down to our time and will continue until Christ comes. Woman seed and Satan seed. Let's look at this. Satan seed. There are two scriptures in the New Testament that will shed some more light on this. First is in Matthew chapter 23 and verse 33. Matthew 23, 33. Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees 
in a negative way, and he says, Serpents, brood of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? And then in 1 John 3 and verse 10, 1 John 3 and verse 10, it says, In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. So this is concerning Satan's seed, the influence of evil in the world. But then there is woman's seed. And notice, you know, man is usually the one thought of as having the seed that is implanted within the womb of woman and produces. But this is woman's seed, born of a virgin. Galatians 3 and verse 16, and also verse 19, notice. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. And down in verse 19, what purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. And so we see this battle between good and evil continuing after the fall of man in the Genesis 3, all the way through life, through the ages. It was continued by their descendants, the battle between Satan's seed and woman's seed. So when the cross of Christ was reared, this is when Satan wounded Christ's heel. Satan is not like God. He does not know all. Satan thought that here the Son, the virgin-born Son of God, Jesus Christ, is dying on the cross. But really, that was just a bruise. Satan wounded Christ's head, a uh, heel, and when Christ arose from the dead, Satan's head was bruised, was crushed. <laughs> Keep getting the two bits uh, mixed up there. But Satan's head was crushed while he may have wounded Christ. Christ destroyed Satan and his influence. But it continues to be until Christ comes a matter of choice for us. We can choose God's way to obey the Savior that He has provided as a remedy for sin, or we can choose not to obey. Or once having obeyed, we can choose to depart and return to the world. But God has a merciful way with the sinner. He's given us Jesus as our Savior. And by the grace of God and the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from our sins, we will live eternally with God in heaven.
To conclude these thoughts, we've looked at the um, essence of sin, God's severe way with the sinner, and God's merciful way with the sinner. I'd like for us to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we'll read, first of all, verses 1 through 4, and then we'll come down to verses 20 through 28. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning with verses 1 through 4. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word, which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Then beginning with verse 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, Even so in Christ all shall be made alive, but each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. For he has put all things under his feet, but when it says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. Now when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Profound beyond words. Jesus Christ, our eternal sacrifice. Eternally the Son. For us. No longer sharing equality with God, as Philippians 2 tells us. He's at the right hand of God, and He's still the Son throughout eternity. So we end this study of Genesis 3 with God's merciful way with the sinner. We aren't Perfect, we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. But praise be unto God that God not only is severe with his punishment, but he is merciful with the sinner. So that brings us to an end. Again, this has 747. I have two minutes till... Quitting time, that says 7.45. Who's in charge of the clockwork? Need to put a, a deacon over that. Thank you, brethren, for your attention.
Uh, before the buzzer sounds, any comments or questions? Continue on. Usually that buzzer interrupts me. <laughs> <laughs> 